My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Why are you so far from saving me from the words of my groaning? Oh my God, I cry day by day, but you do not answer. And by night, but I find no rest. Yet you are holy, enthroned on the praises of Israel. And you our fathers trusted. They trusted and you delivered them. To you they cried and were rescued. In you they trusted and were not put to shame. I want to stop there for just a minute. Do you ever feel that way? Do you ever feel like the people around you, are you good? Do you need help? Are we good? Okay. Do you ever feel like the people around you can't really understand what you're going through? You know, I mean, even people that are close to you. You ever feel alone in a room full of people that love you? I know I have. You, people ask you what you're thinking, and you're afraid to tell them. Because it's horrible. Or because you have a laundry list of concerns and weight on your shoulders. And you don't want to be Debbie Downer. Right? You don't want to be that person who everyone complains about when you're not around. Right. You know what I'm talking about. That person, oh man, every time I see him, everything is terrible. Right. You don't want to be that person. So you just scream in your head. Because even when we talk about how difficult our situation is, a lot of times people don't understand. I just watched... Who's ever seen the movie Concussion? You should see it. It's good. It's about the uh, pathologist, the forensic pathologist, who figured out uh, the reason why NFL players were killing themselves in their 50s. Right. It's You know, that's where all that lawsuit stuff came in for the NFL, and now they have their concussion protocols and that kind of stuff. And that movie really reached me. Because I could almost empathize with these men who were going crazy. There's no, outwardly, there's nothing wrong. Even on their brain scans, nothing was showing up. And they were losing it, hearing voices. They, were really, they had crazy tempers. They couldn't control themselves. They would end up homeless on the street. No one could get inside their head and understand how they felt. Even their families. Sometimes life is lonely. Sometimes it's just hard. Let's keep reading. Verse 6. But I am a worm and not a man, scorned by mankind and despised by the people. All who see me mock me. They make mouths of me. They wag their heads. He trusts in the Lord. Let him deliver him. Let him rescue him, for he delights in him. Verse 9. Yet you are he who took me from the womb. You made me trust you at my mother's breast. On you I was cast from my birth, and from my mother's womb you have been my God. Be not far from me, for trouble is near, 
and there is none to help. Many bulls encompass me. Strong bulls of Bashan surround me. They open wide their mouths at me like a ravening and roaring lion. I am poured out like water, and all my bones are out of joint. My heart is like wax. It is melted within my breast. My strength is dried up like a potsherd, and my tongue sticks to my jaws. You lay me in the dust of death. For dogs encompass me. A company of evildoers encircles me. They have pierced my hands and my feet. I can count all my bones. They stare and gloat over me. They divide my garments among them. And for my clothing they cast lots. David feels pretty besieged. Surrounded. Overwhelmed. I'm a nerd, so I'm going to talk about the Lord of the Rings. In the Lord of the Rings, the book, they don't mention this in the movie, the elves often call their war with Sauron the long defeat. They've been fighting with him for thousands of years, but they just always found a way. They, they may lose a battle, but then they lose two over here. Win a couple over here, lose four over here. They knew they were losing their war, but it was taking a long time. There's a note of despair underneath the Lord of the Rings, undergirding it, through much of the story. I'm going to read an excerpt from an atheist philosopher. He's writing to a friend, thinking about the implications of his world. That all the labors of the ages... All the devotion, all the inspiration, all the noonday brightness of human genius are destined to extinction in the vast death of the solar system, and that the whole temple of man's achievement must inevitably be buried beneath the debris of a universe in ruins. All these things, they are so nearly certain that no philosophy which rejects them can hope to stand. Only within the scaffolding of these truths, only on the firm foundation of unyielding despair, can the soul's habitation be safely built. Life is hard. Sometimes we feel as though we're in the long defeat. We win some battles, but we feel like we're losing the war. We might have some money, but money doesn't last. It comes and goes. And we have time, but not forever. So we gather ourselves, you know, among our friends and family, and we draw them close to us. But when we face our mortality, when we think of the secret thoughts in our minds, it's hard not to feel alone.
marriage helps some of this. But married people know. Not all of it. Sometimes you still feel alone, even married. It's not because your spouse is a bad spouse. It's just who we are. We're alone with our thoughts sometimes. We don't say what we really feel because we're afraid of hurting the other person. Sometimes, sometimes we don't even know what we feel. You ever wonder in your head, where is God now? Why can't my spouse understand me? Why don't my friends get this? Why am I alone? And why am I suffering? It can be depressing. Turn with me to Matthew 27. I chose Psalm 22 because Jesus quotes the opening line when he's on the cross. But I want to start with verse 35 and read to verse 50. I won't apologize because I don't mean it. Just follow along with me. It'll be on the screen or on your Bibles. Matthew 27, 35. And when they had crucified him, they divided his garments among them by casting lots. That sounds familiar. Then they sat down and kept watch over him there. And over his head they put the charge against him which read, This is Jesus, the King of the Jews. Then two robbers were crucified with him, one on the right and one on the left. And those who passed by derided him, wagging their heads, that sounds familiar, and saying, You who would destroy the temple and rebuild it in three days, save yourself. If you are the Son of God, Come down from the cross. So also the chief priests with the scribes and elders mocked him, saying, He saved others. He cannot save himself. He is the king of Israel. Let him come down now from the cross, and we will believe in him. He trusts in God. Let God deliver him now, if he desires him. For he said, I am the son of God. And the robbers who were crucified with him also reviled him in the same way. Does this stuff sound familiar to you? You can go back to Psalm 22 in case it doesn't. Verse 45, now from the sixth hour there was darkness over all the land until the ninth. And about the ninth hour Jesus cried out in a loud voice, saying, Eli, Eli lama sabachthani, that is my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? And some of the bystanders hearing it said, this man is calling Elijah, because they don't know the scriptures. And one of them at once ran and took a sponge, filled it with sour wine and put it on a reed and gave it up to him to drink. But the other said, wait, let us see whether Elijah will come to save him. And Jesus cried out again with a loud voice and yielded up his spirit. Alone on the cross. Some of the women who followed him were there. All but one disciple was missing from that scene. 
their scattered hiding. Utterly alone, facing his death. My God, why have you forsaken me? Similarities are eerie. How many of the things we just read were in Psalm 22? Jesus was calling out in his despair. And he was also probably pointing us to Psalm 22. Can you put yourself there? Standing there, looking at him. See, a lot of us think, we want to think sometimes, that we would be like the women who mourned over Jesus and took his body off the cross. Or that we would be like John, the only disciple who stuck around. I can tell you that I almost certainly would be one of the chief priests making fun of him. I guarantee it. I mean, what kind of Messiah gets himself killed? What kind of king dies at the hands of his own people? You heard the chief priest. He's the king of Israel. Let him come down from the cross. What kind of king does that? Not a king they were looking for. Sometimes, when we see people who are wrestling with this lonely despair, they're suffering, or we do it ourselves, we'll hear people say, or we might even say it, oh, if you only knew how much God loves you, then you would feel better. Really? Do you think Jesus knew how much God loved him? And yet, what did he say from the Even the Lord embraced loneliness. Even the Lord felt it. Understood it. I mean, without that, how could God say he knows what it is to be human? Isn't this the problem with other religions? Isn't this the problem with philosophies? Why is there evil, John? Well... Let's philosophize for about five hours. And then when we're done debating why there's evil, what will we have? Unyielding despair. We'll know why we're dying, but we can't do anything about it. La-di-da. That's great. So now we're just smarter, but we're still dying. Yeah, right. What's the point of that? We're still dead. We'll be smart till we die. But death still gets the last word. I just want you to think about that for a second. Think about those lonely places in your heart that no one knows exists. Things that you don't even know exist. 
things that you find out, things you discover accidentally, things you wish you hadn't discovered. Let's go back to Psalm 22. Because it could easily just end there. That's it. My God, why have you forsaken us? Why have you left us to die? But we're not done. Verse 19. But you, O Lord, be not far off. You, my help, come quickly to my aid. Deliver my soul from the sword, my precious life from the power of the dog. Save me from the mouth of the lion. You have rescued me from the horns of the wild oxen. Now listen to this. I will tell of your name to my brothers. In the midst of the congregation, I will praise you. You who fear the Lord, praise him. All you offspring of Jacob, glorify him. And stand in awe of him, all you offspring of Israel. For he has not despised or abhorred the affliction of the afflicted. And he has not hidden his face from him, but he has heard when he cried to him. From you comes my praise in the great congregation. My vows I will perform before those who fear him. The afflicted shall eat and be satisfied. Those who seek him shall praise the Lord. May your hearts live forever. All the ends of the earth shall remember and turn to the Lord. And all the families of the nations shall worship before you. For kingship belongs to the Lord. And he rules over the nations. All the prosperous of the earth eat and worship. Before him shall bow all who go down to the dust, even the one who could not keep himself alive. Posterity shall serve him. It shall be told the Lord to the coming generation. They shall come and proclaim his righteousness to a people yet unborn that he has done it. That's a pretty big turnaround from where we just were. From you lay me in the dust of death, to kingship belongs to the Lord. Praise Him. How does that work? Maybe. Maybe David only wrote half the psalm and then some circumstances changed and he felt better. He wrote the other half. Or maybe in the middle of his pain, He thought about who God is. He lifted his eyes. He praised him. And he looked toward the kingship of God. This psalm is as much about Jesus as it is about us, as it is about David. The chief priest said, If you were the king of Israel... Come down from the cross. If you're the Son of God, come down from the cross. But they couldn't understand that the fact He is the Son of God is what kept Him on the cross. The fact that He was the King of Israel is the King of Israel kept Him on the cross. Because the cross was His throne. How strange and dark that is. See, people, they want this kind of magic fairy God. 
right? Like the guy, like the fairy godmother in Cinderella, right? Who comes along and waves her little magic wand, and all of a sudden the pumpkin is a chariot. Look, it's a nice story, I like it, I'm just saying. There's a reason it's a fairy story. That's what we want from God. But God says, well, you see, I made the world to be ruled by people. So I'm going to have to do something else. I can't just come in and wave a magic wand. Because it would completely diminish everything you've gone through. What, can I just wipe your memory? Instead, God embraces it with us. You see, Jesus embodies the God of Israel, who is not content to sit back and philosophize, right? And give us divine answers about why we have pain and suffering. He says, well, that's not going to do a lot of good. So why don't I do this? Let's embrace that pain. Let's embody that loneliness. I will reveal myself to my creation and they will kill me. It says a lot about who we are. And all in the midst of it, I will forgive them. David was holding on to the fact that kingship belongs to the Lord. He was praising God. The only way out of that loneliness is to praise God. That's the only way out. Everything else is a tool to help you get to praise God. You can't find an answer to your loneliness anywhere else. Because everyone else is experiencing what you are. It's not like you're actually alone. I mean, everyone next to you is feeling the same things. Wrestling with the same things. You think they by themselves can help you? They can't. Only he can. Jesus was focused on the Father. On the cross. He was holding on to something. Let's read Matthew 26. We're going to go back to Matthew 26. I'm sorry I didn't put that in the computer. My bad. I thought of it on the way up. Matthew 26, just a couple of verses. Jesus is on trial in front of the Sanhedrin. And of course, the chief priest, the guy in charge of the, of the trial, he really understands what this is about. This is the only question that means anything in this conversation. But Jesus remained silent, and the high priest said to him, I adjure you by the living God, tell us if you are the Christ, the Son of God. And Jesus said to him, listen closely. You have said so. But I tell you from now on, 
you will see the Son of Man seated at the right hand of power and coming on the clouds of heaven. Blasphemy. Unless he really was that. Now why is that blasphemy? Sounds like just a crazy person. But you'll notice that Jesus didn't say, I am the Son of God. He said, I am the Son of Man. But what did he mean by that? Now we've covered this a couple weeks ago. I'm going to go back there. Because repetition is the key to memorization. Daniel chapter 7. You don't have to turn there if you don't want to. I again, I do apologize to Alex. I didn't put that one in the computer either. Daniel chapter 7. When Jesus calls himself the Son of Man, especially in the context of this conversation, this is what he means. 7.13 I saw in the night visions, and behold, with the clouds of heaven, there came one like a Son of Man, and he came to the Ancient of Days, it was presented before him. And to him was given dominion and glory and a kingdom that all peoples, nations, and languages should serve him. His dominion is an everlasting dominion which shall not pass away. And this kingdom is one that shall not be destroyed. That's what he means. When Jesus calls himself the Son of Man in the Gospels, he's thinking of that. That's how he got himself crucified. Now here's the thing. Lots of folks, when they, when they read this, because we have a tendency to look at things through 21st century spectacles, or, or 20th century spectacles, if we spent most of our lives in the 20th century. So we tend to look at that and say, oh, Jesus means the second coming. The Son of Man seated in power and coming on the clouds of heaven. But if Jesus comes into his kingdom on the cross, What happens after the cross? Did you just stay dead? What happened? He rose. And what happens after he rises from the dead? He sits at the right hand of the Father. And you will see the Son of Man seated at the right hand of power. Jesus inaugurates the kingdom of God on the cross. He's enthroned after his resurrection. This is what Jesus is looking toward. Hanging on the cross. And we see the fulfillment. Matthew 28. 16 to 20. Now the eleven disciples went to Galilee, to the mountain to which Jesus had directed them. And when they saw him, they worshipped him, but some doubted. And Jesus came and said to them, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. And behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. That is what Jesus was holding on to on the cross. That's why he doesn't come down off the cross. We have new creation. This is what we have to hold on to. This is who Jesus is. 
we can hold on to who he is, what he's done. Life is hard. Right? This isn't whistling in the dark. This isn't pretending that nothing is wrong. It's saying, yeah. Life is hard. The world is messed up. I am in pain. I am suffering. I feel alone. The only way out of this is to reach out your hand and praise Jesus. Begin to thank Him. The antidote to a suffering soul is gratefulness. Because all there other all there is otherwise is despair. We're drinking the Kool-Aid if we think that all we are is stardust and that our lives mean anything. If all we are is just matter, if we can't find our hope in God, there is no hope to be found. Because everything that we are And everything that we care about is either an illusion or will be gone when we're gone. And a few years down the road, you know, maybe our grandchildren will remember a couple stories about us, but they won't remember good ones. They'll remember like silly funny ones about how weird we were. And if we somehow magically become famous, well, what will happen then is about 50 years after we're dead, someone will start taking things we've said out of context to make it sound like we really agree with them all the time, and then someone else will have to correct them, and so on and so forth. If, if you're not sure like what this looks like, just go on Facebook. It's there all the time. Yeah. Yeah, there's uh, no shortage of internet philosophers in our time. And internet historians. Quote, historians. But what is there for us if there is no way to be grateful for who Jesus is and what he has done and for what he is going to continue to do? There is nothing. Jesus says, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. A lot of times we behave as though he only gets to call the shots in heaven. As if he doesn't get to call the shots here. A lot of times, we get caught up in that stuff. We get caught up in our lives. We feel buried by our circumstances. But Christianity, walking with God, is about facing reality and trusting that God is big enough to make it right. That somehow he's going to make it right. My last thing to say about this is 
is to remember what Jesus said from the cross in Luke's Gospel. Father, forgive them, for they don't know what they're doing. There's a lot of bad stuff happening right now. Feels chaotic, but don't forget, lots of bad stuff happen, happens everywhere. The only way this can be made all right is through gratefulness to God and forgiveness of each other. God's answer to sin and pain and death are the cross and the resurrection. And as we root ourselves in them, we can be grateful to him for what he has done and we can forgive people who have wounded us. We don't have to pretend that everything's fine. We don't have to say, oh, I'm not really hurt. Okay, you are. Just embrace it. I do this a lot. People are like, are you upset? No. In my head? Oh, I'm upset. I can feel it. You guys, how many of you have ever seen Shakespeare in the Park? Handful of us. One of the reasons I love Shakespeare is because the people go on forever. And it's like, Chuck, what are you talking about? They go on forever. Just hear me out. Okay. I just listened to this. Uh, have you guys ever seen The Winter's Tale? I never even knew it existed. Great, great play. But in the middle of The Winter's Tale, this woman just goes off on this guy. Like she spends a good five minutes calling him like everything she can think of and talking about what a terrible man he was and all the terrible things he had done to his life. And I thought, this is how I feel in my head. I understand. Shakespeare gets me. Because we're saying these things in our head. We're saying them in the car as we drive home about our boss. Or about a coworker. For those of us who are bilingual, we're saying it in another language. Gratefulness and forgiveness do not pretend that nothing is wrong. Instead, they look it in the eyes. And they say that I trust God is bigger than you. And because of that, I forgive you. And I put my hope in God. I throw all my hope on the shoulders of Jesus Christ and what he has done. So where is your hope today? Is your hope in making America great again? Look, I'm sure the intention is good. But laws are not going to save us. Is our hope in, uh, yes we can? Or no, we can't. What's what's Secretary Clinton's slogan? Does she have one? I mean, there are lots of cynical ones that we shouldn't say. But are, does she have one? I don't know. Whatever her slogan is. Whatever her slogan is. I didn't do it. See? Those, that's what I thought about. The cynical ones that we can't say out loud. Look, we can't put our hope in those things. 
Our hope can't be found in the ballot box. Ask the folks in the UK. Right? The same folks that talk about how great the democratic process is. Oh, it's so wonderful. It's the best thing. It's going to save the world. And then, when the democratic process makes Great Britain leave the European Union, the same people are saying, oh, democracy's terrible. Well, you just loved it like an hour ago. What's wrong with you? Our hopes and dreams cannot be satisfied ultimately by other people. Your spouse loves you, but there's only so much that person can do for you. That per your spouse will give you their whole lives, but they can't answer every single need in your heart. Just human. So I want to encourage you. Be grateful for what Jesus has done, who he is. Be grateful that you woke up this morning. It is so hard to be grateful. I know I struggle with being grateful. Ask my wife. Sometimes, sometimes I'm so angry. I don't even know what to do. And I don't, sometimes I don't even know why. I'm just angry. Let's be more grateful. Let's go out of our way to praise God. And let's find a way to forgive people who hurt us. The kingdom of God redefines what it means to have power. It redefines what it means to be human. Humans don't trample other humans. They pull them to their feet. Humans don't repay evil for evil. They say, I forgive you. Let's solve the problem. Humans don't shake their fist at God as though everything that's wrong with the world is somehow his fault and we had nothing to do with it. You know that a hundred million people died in our wars in the last hundred years? That's more people than the whole rest of the world, than the whole rest of the history of humanity. A hundred million people died as a result of war or government oppression of some kind over the last century. And you know how much of it was motivated by religion? I'll give you a guess. About a million of that. Maybe two. We create our own problems. Let's lift our eyes to the Lord, where our help comes from. Let's forgive people who have wounded us. And that isn't easy. The only cure for that lonely despair 
is the Holy Spirit of God. Open your heart up. Remember where your help comes from. You are not alone. You are fully known and fully loved by the one who made you. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we want to thank you that you love us that you were not content to sit and wait for us to die, but that you came to be one of us. That you embraced our pain. That you embraced our existence and made it part of yourself. We pray, Lord, that you would help us to look beyond the things that would destroy us. Teach us to praise you in the middle of our pain. Teach us to forgive people who have wounded us. Teach us to trust you over kings and presidents and senators. Because only you really know what we need. Lord, we give you thanks and praise as we go. In your name, amen. Thank you very much, guys. God bless you. It's good to see you.